Since it's our first Sunday together, I'm going to share three different things with you this morning. Uh, the first thing I'm going to share is a little bit of my testimony. Uh, many of you don't know much about me, so I'd like to share a little bit of what God has done in my life, and I hope it's an encouragement and blessing to you. Uh, the second thing I'm going to share is our mission and our vision here at Cross Connection. Uh, since this is our first Sunday, I think it's important that you understand what our church is all about, uh, what our purpose is, what direction we're going, and what the vision is for this church. The third thing I'm going to share is an introduction to the first book of the Bible we'll be studying together, which is the Gospel of Luke. So I'm going to be giving you an introduction to Luke, and we'll be looking at the first four verses this morning uh, that Luke shares with us. So let me start by sharing a little bit of my testimony with you. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home in Southern California. Uh, my dad is a pastor, so uh, I went to church several times a week ever since I was born. Uh, when I was really young, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and uh, when I was eight years old, I was baptized. Uh, but a big turning point in my life came when I was 13. Uh, when I was 13, my grandma, uh, who lived with us, who I was very close with, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and, you know, when I got home every day from school, I would help take care of her. Uh, the cancer was kind of getting worse, and her ankles were swelling with fluids, and, you know, she couldn't really get around very well, and so I would do all I could to just make her comfortable and help get her things and uh, just show her love. Uh, and, you know, during that time, my parents just kept telling me, God's going to heal her. Uh, you know, don't worry, God's going to heal her. And so every night uh, as I went to bed, I would just pray for God to heal my grandma. And I was expecting God to heal my grandma. And then all of a sudden, you know, the horrible day came when my parents came home from the hospital. Uh, and they told my brother and sister and I that my grandma had died. Now, that was something that really had a very negative impact on me. I, I blamed God. I expected God to heal my grandma, and I just didn't understand why he would allow her to die. And after that, I went to church, but only because I had to, not because uh, I wanted to. I was uh, there because I was expected to as the pastor's son. And when I got into high school, um, you know, I played a lot of sports, and none of my friends were Christians, and after football games and basketball games, there were a lot of parties. Uh, and so I started getting involved in the party scene. I started drinking. I started doing drugs. And, um, you know, I, I thought that this was going to be something that was going to be very fulfilling uh, for me in my life. And, and you know, uh, what I thought was going to be so fun and so fulfilling and so rewarding, uh, I soon found to be quite empty. And my brother, who is four years older than me, who also walked away from the Lord, uh, he was really into drugs and into the party scene and was doing a lot more harder drugs than I was. And, and I started seeing what was happening in his life and the downward spiral it was taking. And I started thinking to myself, you know, that is not the path that I want to be on. That That is not what I want to end up like. And, uh, you know, a couple of months later, uh, after that, uh, I finished my junior year of high school, and my sister 
she invited me to a church that she was going to called Calvary Chapel. And, you know, I just basically blew her off several times of, hey, you know, I'm already going to church, a church I don't want to be a part of. I'm done with church. You know, I'd go for mom and dad, but, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to come with you. But I had noticed a a big change in her life since starting uh, to go to this church. And so uh, I decided to go. Uh, And, you know, the teaching that night was just amazing. Uh, I had never heard the Bible taught verse by verse and explained in a real practical and applicable way. And um, that night, the the pastor taught on, of all things, the prodigal son. Uh, And so, you know, he teaches about this son who's walking away from, you know, his father and and in my respect, walking away from God. And he closed his message with an invitation to anyone who had walked away from God and wanted to get right with him that, you know, they could do that. And uh, I knew that was me ever since my grandma died. I had walked away from God. And, you know, that night I rededicated my life to the Lord. I, I chose to follow Jesus for myself. And I told God I would do anything he wanted me to do. Well, my senior year, I stopped partying and surrounded myself with Christian friends. And uh, when everyone was asking, what college was I going to go to? I felt like God was calling me into ministry. Now, that was funny to me because my brother and I vowed that we would never go into ministry because we didn't want to be poor. And, you know, we saw a lot of the hardships and difficulties in my parents' life of what being involved in ministry looks like. So, um, you know, but I said, God, if that's what you want, then, then that's fine. Uh, so when I graduated high school, I went to Calvary Chapel's School of Evangelism. Uh, I didn't have any money to go, and every month someone anonymously paid for me to be there, and it was just a, a miraculous provision from God. It was something that was real exciting for me. Uh, it was just an awesome time of growth and learning how to share my faith with others. After that, I went to Tyler, Texas uh, to work at a Christian camp called Pine Cove. Uh, there was a great time of ministering to young people and putting into practice all that God had been teaching me. Uh, After that, I went to Calvary Chapel's Bible College in California. Uh, While there, I got really involved in a Calvary Chapel church, doing children's and youth ministry several times a week. And uh, my last year at Bible College, uh, I took several short-term mission trips to Mexico. uh, And God started burdening my heart for missions. Well, Calvary Chapel had a Bible college in Austria that was completely focused on missions. The teachers there, uh, they had a requirement of having had at least been on the mission field for at least 13 years before teaching. And so when I graduated from the Bible college in California, I did a two-year internship at the Bible college in Austria. This was an amazing time of growth for me, and I had all sorts of leadership and teaching responsibilities. Uh, One of my responsibilities was to lead students on mission trips to churches all over Europe. And one of the mission trips I led was to Scotland. And while I was there in Scotland, I felt like God clearly told me to come and plant a church in the city of Glasgow, Scotland. 
I was 23 years old and planting a church in Scotland was quite a daunting thought to me. I'd never planted a church. You know, this was, you know, quite a big thing. And so I asked God to make it really clear that this is where he wanted me to go. This is what he was calling me to do. Um, and, you know, I was just praying and I started to get emails and phone calls from churches and individuals telling me they wanted to support me to go to Scotland. I hadn't told these people about the fact that I was praying about and considering Scotland. And so this was, you know, quite a supernatural thing that the Lord had burdened their heart for. They'd reached out to me. And uh, for most people, it takes about six months to get a missionary visa to Scotland. I got mine in one day. Uh, and so God started making it very clear. These doors started opening for me to plant a church in Scotland. And uh, when I finished my internship uh, in Austria, I went to Scotland and I started a Calvary Chapel in the city of Glasgow. Now, after four years of ministering in Scotland, God directed me to the most amazing woman in the world, my wife, Jenny. Now, at that time, I was in Scotland and Jenny was in Alabama and how God brought us together is a, a wonderful story, but I don't have the time to share all those details with you this morning. Uh, sorry, ladies, I know you like romantic stories and you guys are probably happy I don't have the time to, to share all those little details, but uh, we got married in Alabama and Jenny moved to Scotland and we started ministering together. Four years later, we had our first little girl, Scarlett, and then two years after that, we had our second girl, Eden. After ministering in Scotland for almost 11 years, God called us to pass on the church to a Scottish man. Uh, so we did that, and, and God called us to join a Calvary Chapel in Atlanta, Georgia. We assisted there for about two and a half years, and then God made it clear he wanted us to plant another church. Well, our initial thought was that God would send us back to Europe. Uh, we have dual citizenships, so we're dual citizens of Britain. Uh, so we thought, you know, hey, we could use that. We don't need visas or anything to get back into Europe. And so surely that makes sense to us. God will send us back to Europe. But uh, God started burdening our heart for a place that was really never on our radar, and that was Houston, Texas. So Jenny and I get out a map of Houston, we start praying for uh, the Lord's direction, and we both felt strongly that God was calling us to plant a church here in Pasadena. Now, when I talk to people about Pasadena, they tried to discourage me from coming. They called it Stinkadena. Uh, they said there were many other better places in Houston to go. And, you know, they kind of threw out all these different practical reasons of why we shouldn't come to Pasadena. But for me, it was just like, you know, I'm not going for those reasons. I'm going because I want to just be faithful and obedient to where God has called us. And um, so, I decided, you know what, I need to come in person. I need to check out Houston. I definitely need to check out Pasadena. And so uh, a friend of mine and I, we came for a week and we were just asking God to confirm this is where he wanted me and my family to be. And so uh, as we came out here, uh, we saw a lot of different places. We prayed a lot of different places, but it was here in Pasadena that the Lord just confirmed this was where he always wanted us to be. This is exactly where he wanted us. And so... Um, Jenny was convinced of it. I was convinced of it. We sold our house in Georgia. We packed up our stuff, uh, and we moved here to Pasadena. And in the last few months, 
It's just been amazing to watch and see how God has provided everything that is needed for the start of this church. Um, the most important thing was just bringing people together uh, to be a part of the church plant team, but also this building that we're meeting in and these chairs and the uh, sound system and, and just so many different little practical things that God has brought together. Uh, and it's just been great to be able to see that. It's great to be here with all of you this morning on our first Sunday service, just seeing God bring everything together for the start of this church. And I'm just so excited to see what God's going to do, to see what God's going to do through Cross Connection Church here in Pasadena. And so uh, that's just a little bit of my testimony uh, of what God has done in my life. If you continue to come and listen to me teach, you'll definitely hear more and more about um, my life and what God's done in me. But uh, hopefully it just gives you a little bit of her perspective of what God's done, where he's taken me, how you know he's brought me and my family to this place here uh, to start this church in Pasadena. Now, you've probably noticed as I shared that I have had a lot of connection with Calvary Chapel, and uh, many of you here this morning have had a lot of connection with Calvary Chapel. So you might be wondering, why are we called Cross Connection instead of Calvary Chapel Pasadena? Uh, well, our church is affiliated with Calvary Chapel, but we decided to pick a name that helped describe our mission and vision instead of just our affiliation. Uh, and we chose Cross Connection connection because we feel it is very descriptive of our mission and our vision. And I just want to take a few minutes to share with you our mission and vision because I think it is very important that you understand that uh, as we just kind of start this church and move forward with it. Our mission is to live an authentic life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. Now, the reason we have chosen this mission is because it's at the heart of what the Bible teaches. Our mission statement focuses on Jesus and what he has done for us, and that is at the heart of what the Bible declares and teaches to us. The Bible is very clear that the only way that you and I can have connection with God, the only way that we can have a relationship with God is through Jesus. That is why part of our mission statement is connection with God through Jesus. When God first made Adam and Eve, they had a perfect connection. They had a perfect relationship with him, but then they sinned, and that sin broke that connection and that relationship with God. You see, God is perfect. He is holy, and he cannot allow sin in his presence. And each one of us are sinners. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and our sin keeps us from being connected with God. And since God loves us so much, he decided to make a way for us to be connected with him again. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to become one of us and to live a sinless life and to die on a cross for our sins and to rise from the dead to conquer sin and death. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and for mine so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a connection with God again. The Bible tells us that if we believe in Jesus and if we ask him to forgive us of our sins and to come into our life, that he will enable us to have that connection with God again, that he will forgive our sins and give us that relationship with God. So the only way that you and I can have a connection with God is through Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just connect us with God. 
The way that you and I have a connection with each other as Christians is also through Jesus. This is why part of our mission statement is connection with one another through Jesus. The Bible tells us that once we accept Jesus, that God adopts us into his family and makes us his children. So those who have accepted Jesus become brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this amazing connection with one another that we didn't have before. The Bible tells us there is this equality and oneness in Christ, that it doesn't matter your race, your gender, or your income. Once you accept Jesus, there is a oneness and equality with other Christians. So we have a connection with God through Jesus. We have a connection with one another as Christians through Jesus. But you know what? The Bible also tells us as believers in Jesus that we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The word gospel means good news. So to go into all the world and tell people the good news of what Jesus has done for them, that he died on the cross for them, that he paid the price for their sin so that they won't have to go to hell, so that they can have a relationship with God, to try to connect the lost world with Jesus. This is why part of our mission statement is connection with the world through Jesus. As Christians, we're called to help connect the lost world to Jesus. So our mission statement is to live an authentic life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. And we chose the name Cross Connection because it is at the cross of Jesus that connects us to God and one another, and we want to connect the lost world to the cross of Jesus. So hopefully the name of our church reminds you of the mission of our church. Now the way we're going to try to put this mission into practice is through our vision. Our vision is fourfold. First, to save the lost. Second, to equip the saved. Third, to serve the lost and saved. And fourth, to send the equipped. The first part of our vision is to save the lost. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This command by Jesus is to everyone who believes in him. Here at Cross Connection, we take this command of Jesus very seriously. We have the greatest news that anyone could ever hear, and we want to share it with all who will listen. We want to help you practice evangelism as a regular lifestyle, not just a special event. See, here at the church, we're going to do regular outreach events in our community, and we would love for you to be a part of those things. And, and the main purpose of those outreach events are to share the gospel with people who don't know it. But what we don't want is for you to think, I only share the gospel during these special outreach events. We want you to recognize and to practice evangelism as a regular lifestyle. To share with your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, the people that God brings into your life. Just share as you go throughout your day. Do it in a natural way. One of the things we will provide as a church is training on how to clearly and concisely share the gospel. And we will provide training on how to share your testimony in a way that clearly shares the gospel. So the first part of our vision is to save the lost. The second part of our vision is to equip the saved. 
And once someone accepts Jesus and, and gets saved, you know, we want to equip them. We want to help them grow in their relationship with God. Two of the most effective equipping tools we have been given by God are the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Here at Cross Connection, we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us, and we look to the Bible to direct us and show us how we need to grow. We strongly hold to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe the Bible is holy and perfectly inspired by God and is profitable for us in every way, and we do not apologize for that in any way, shape, or form. I know that many churches are kind of abandoning and going away from the inspiration of Scripture, but we definitely are not one of those churches. So in our church, we put a huge emphasis on teaching, on training, and equipping people through the study and application of God's Word. In our services, we teach verse by verse and chapter by chapter through whole books of the Bible. I don't skip over difficult verses or controversial verses or verses that that maybe don't seem as exciting as others because we believe all Scripture is inspired by God and all of it is profitable for each one of us. Every ministry we have at the church exists to help equip you in your relationship with God, in your relationship with one another, and in your relationship with the world that's lost. Our Sunday service, our connect groups, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our children's ministry, our outreach ministry, uh, our fellowship times, all of these ministries are here to help fulfill the second part of our vision, which is to equip those that are saved. So the first part of our vision is save the lost. The second part of our vision is to equip the saved. And the third part of our vision is to serve the lost and the saved. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In our world, those who serve others are not considered great. But serving others is something that Jesus considers to be great. Jesus not only instructed us to serve others, he demonstrated in his own life. Jesus set the example of serving others, and he served to the extent of giving his very life. A crucial part of our church vision is to serve the lost and the saved. You know, here in our church, there are many ways that you can serve others in our fellowship. As you can see, this is not our building. Uh, So we set up all of these things, the chairs, the sound system, everything. uh, And so you could come and you could help with that. And when the service is done, we have to remove all of this stuff from the building. So, you know, you can help with taking all this stuff down. You can serve in the children's ministry. You can serve on the worship team. You can serve in our hospitality ministry where we provide lunch for everyone after each service. You can serve as a greeter and make people feel welcome as they come to church. There's just many different opportunities for service here at the church. But you know, 
This is not the only group we want to serve. We don't just want to serve fellow Christians. You see, notice Jesus didn't just serve those who loved him. He also served those who rejected him and hated him. We don't just want to serve other Christians. We also want to get into the community and serve people who don't know Jesus, serve people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. You know, one of the best ways to open up doors for the gospel is to serve people and ask nothing in return. And when you go and mow someone's lawn or, or clean their gutters or clean their house or do a free car wash or, or put on a free event for their kids, it opens up doors. Usually people ask, why are you doing this for me for free? And you can tell them why you're doing it for them. You know, at least right into the gospel, you know what? There's something that was done for me, something extraordinary that was free. Jesus Christ gave his life for me. I didn't have to do anything to earn that or uh, he did it for free and he did it for you for free. And because of what Christ has done for me, we have this desire to serve you because he served us. We want to show love to you because he showed love for us. We want to do this for free for you because of what he's done for free for us. So it's a great open door to impact people with the gospel. So every week there are going to be plenty of opportunities for you to serve one another with things we're doing as a church, and there are also going to be regular opportunities to serve our community with different service outreaches we will be doing for them uh, to help meet their spiritual and also their practical needs. So the first part of our vision is to save the lost. The second part of our vision is to equip the saved. The, the third part of our vision is to serve the lost and the saved. And the fourth and final part of our vision is to send the equipped. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, this verse is often referred to as Jesus' great commission to his followers. You know, and this is an imperative that we take very seriously here at Cross Connection. An essential part of our vision is to send the equipped. As believers are equipped in our church, it's our desire to send them into our community, into the city, into other cities, into other countries to share the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. You know, here at Cross Connection, we value sending capacity over seating capacity. We aim to grow the kingdom of God as a whole, not just our individual church. We're not just about getting people coming in here and filling up our church. We also want to send people out to impact the world for Jesus Christ. We want to see God use this church not just to reach Pasadena, but to reach other cities and other countries as well. We want to send people out and we want to support them and help them minister in other places. So our vision is to save the lost, equip the saved, serve the lost and the saved, and send the equip. I hope that is a vision that excites you, and I hope that's a vision that you can get behind because we cannot accomplish this vision without you. It takes all of us together using the gifts that God has given us in order to accomplish a vision like this. And, and because of 
this reality of being together and using our gifts corporately, you know, we really value fellowship with each other here at Cross Connection. It's something that is a big emphasis for us. And after every Sunday service, we are going to have lunch in someone's home and everyone is invited. And today it's going to be at my house. Um, But one of the main reasons we do this is so that we can have some time to connect with one another, part of our mission statement, and to build relationships with one another. Every Thursday night, we're going to have our Connect group, and from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, we're going to have dinner. And so you can come out early, and you can get to hang out with people, eat with people, get to know people uh, at that Connect group an hour before the official 7 o'clock start time when we're going to start with worship. But, you know, we encourage you to take advantage of just those two little times of fellowship. We'll also be doing other things just to uh, encourage fellowship among the body here because we value that and we feel that it's very important as believers just to get quality time together in that way. Well, now that I've shared a little of my testimony and also shared our mission and our vision, uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning digging into the book of Luke. Now, when you study through a whole book of the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, it's a good thing to start by getting some background information. So let me give you a little bit of background information about the Gospel of Luke. The first bit of background information I want to deal with comes from a very common question that people have when studying a gospel. It's a question that I have gotten uh, many times as a pastor. The question is, why are there four gospels? Why do we have Matthew's account of Jesus' life and Mark's account and Luke's account and, and John's account? Why not just have one gospel account of Jesus' life? Well, the reason there are four Gospels is because each Gospel is focusing on a different aspect of Jesus. So in order to get a complete understanding of who Jesus is, we need all four Gospels. Because each Gospel focuses on a different aspect of Jesus' life to give us the complete picture of Jesus. So what are the different aspects of Jesus' life that these four Gospels focus on? Well, Matthew focuses on Jesus as the Messiah, the one that the Jews were waiting for. His gospel was written specifically to Jews. Matthew's gospel has far more Old Testament references in it than any of the other gospels because the Old Testament is what the Jews would have been very familiar with. So Matthew's gospel focuses on proving that Jesus is the Messiah the Jews were waiting for, the one that fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. Mark focuses on a different aspect of Jesus. He focuses on Jesus as a servant. His gospel was written to both Jews and Gentiles. Mark's gospel has far more references to how Jesus served people than the other gospels. Because one of Mark's main goals was to show that Jesus was a servant. John focuses on a different aspect of Jesus. He focuses on Jesus as God. His gospel was written to both Jews and Gentiles. John's gospel has far more references to Jesus being God than the other gospels do. 
In John's gospel, you have the seven I am statements of Jesus, seven times that Jesus himself declares he is God, which the other gospels don't have. John shared these things about Jesus because his main goal was to show that Jesus was God. So Matthew focuses on Jesus as the Messiah, Mark focuses on Jesus as a servant, and John focuses on Jesus as God, which brings us to Luke, the gospel that we are going to be studying. Luke focuses on Jesus as the perfect man who is our Savior. His gospel was written to Gentile people that are not Jewish. Luke's Gospel gives Jesus the title, the Son of Man, focusing on Jesus' humanity, which the other Gospels don't deal with nearly as much. Luke uses the term Savior many times in his Gospel, which is a term that Matthew and Mark don't use at all, and John only uses once. Luke uses terms, these terms because one of the main goals of his Gospel is to show that Jesus was a perfect man who saved us from our sins. You know, if there's one verse that could sum up Luke, I would say it would be Luke 19.10, which says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In this verse, we see Luke focusing on Jesus, the Son of Man, who came to this earth to save us who were lost in our sins. You know, and that's the main focus of this gospel. So Luke's gospel focuses on proving that Jesus was a perfect, sinless man who came to save us from our sin. So the reason we have four different gospels is because each gospel focuses on four different aspects of Jesus' life. And in order to get a complete understanding of who Jesus is and what he did, we need all four gospels. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is a servant. He is completely God. And he is the perfect, sinless man who is our Savior. And it's through the four Gospels that we get this great, complete picture of Jesus. I would also throw in their revelation, because that shows what Jesus is like now on the throne. But all of them together give us that complete picture of Jesus. So the first bit of background information I wanted you to know is why there are four Gospels. And now that we have a better understanding of that, let's focus on some specific background information about the author of the Gospel, which is Luke. The first interesting thing I want you to note about Luke is that he is Greek. Now you might be thinking, well, why is that significant? Well, the reason that is significant is because Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the Bible. So God gave Luke an amazing privilege. He's the only Gentile inspired to write a book of the Bible. All the other authors are Jewish. Now, Luke not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, which gives us the history of the early church. And when you take the amount of words that are in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and count them up, you find something very interesting, that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other author, even Paul. Now, you might be saying, well, no, no, wait a second here. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, far more than Luke. So how could that be? Yes, Paul wrote more books of the Bible than Luke, but most of Paul's letters or books are small in length. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are actually quite long in length. And when you take all the words of Paul's letters and all the words of Luke's two letters and you compare the amount of words there, you find that actually Luke wrote more words of the New Testament than even 
Paul did. So the first interesting thing about Luke is he's the only non-Jewish author in the Bible. The second interesting thing I want you to note about Luke, we discover in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 14, it said, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke was a physician. He was a medical doctor. Now, the fact that Luke was a medical doctor means that Luke was a very highly educated individual. Luke, not only was Luke a medical doctor, but he was a Greek medical doctor. And the Greeks of that time prided themselves on their education, on how much they knew. Uh, and most scholars agree that the Gospel of Luke is the most scholarly writing in all of the New Testament. The book gives great attention to historic detail and has a very scientific and orderly approach to it. Luke consistently writes in such a way as to spread uh, or to appeal, sorry, to the logical and, and educated Greek mind. So the first two interesting things we note about Luke is that he's the only non-Jewish author in the Bible and that he's a medical doctor. The third interesting thing I want you to note about Luke is that he was a very faithful friend and travel companion of Paul and often took care of Paul's medical needs. As you study the New Testament, you find that Luke worked with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey that Luke traveled with Paul on Paul's return to Asia, and Luke accompanied Paul to Rome when Paul traveled there as a prisoner. And Luke was Paul's only compassion, uh, companion shortly before his death when Paul wrote 2 Timothy from a prison cell in Rome. That's the last book that Paul wrote right before he died. And he says in 2 Timothy 9, 4, 9-11, through 11, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So here we see that Luke was a very faithful friend of Paul. These other people that were there with Paul at the end of his life, they, they left for different reasons, and, and only Luke stayed with him to the end. And so Luke was the author of this gospel and he was a highly educated Greek medical doctor, but he was also a very faithful friend of Paul. Now that we've looked at some background information about Luke himself, another important thing to note is when this gospel was written. Uh, the gospel of Luke was written uh, around 60 AD. Uh, and now for those of you who think, oh, I don't really care when it was written, there is a significant aspect of that because you'll probably notice in your Bibles you have Matthew as the first gospel that you come to, then Mark as the second, Luke's the third, and John's the fourth. And if you've always wondered, you know, why that order, why not different? Well, the reason they place the gospels in that order in your Bible is because that's the order that they were written. Matthew was the first gospel to be written, then Mark was the second, then Luke the third, then John the fourth. Uh, and so that's uh, an important aspect of knowing when Luke was written. So now that we've looked at some background information, we are going to look at the introduction that Luke gives in the first four verses of this gospel. In these first four verses, Luke is going to cover two important things. The person he wrote to and the purpose of why he wrote it. So let's start in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, says this. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word deliver them to us, 
It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Luke starts off telling us there have been many people who have written about the life of Jesus. Then he gets more specific and says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word deliver them to us. These eyewitnesses who were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministries and ministers of the word that Luke refers to are most likely Matthew and Mark. So Luke is saying other people have written about Jesus' life, most notably those who were with him during his ministry, uh, those who have written the first two gospels, Matthew and Mark. And in verse 6 he goes on to say, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke knows other people have written about Jesus' life, but it seemed good to Luke to also write about the life of Jesus. And in verses 3 and 4, there are two important things to note about Luke's introduction. The first thing I want us to note about this introduction is the person Luke wrote to. We're told in verse 3 that Luke wrote to a person that he refers to as most excellent Theophilus. You know, there actually isn't that much that we know about this man named Theophilus, but I will tell you what we do know. Theophilus is a Greek name, so this man was most likely Greek, making sense, because Luke is also Greek. Uh, And, you know, the name Theophilus means lover of God. And it was quite a common Greek name at that time, but the title Most Excellent was a customary title given to rulers, especially those who were lawyers. This indicates that Theophilus was most likely a lawyer or at least someone who held a prominent place in the Roman Empire. Some scholars believe that Theophilus was Paul's defense attorney when Paul was on trial and that Luke was helping him to prepare his defense brief for Paul's trial. But like with every book of the Bible, it is inspired by God uh, and it is written for everyone's benefit, not just for those it was originally written to. The second thing I want us to note about this introduction is the purpose of why Luke wrote this gospel. And Luke really, he gives us a twofold purpose here in verses 3 and 4. He says, It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So the first purpose Luke had was to write an orderly account of Jesus' life. You know, Luke's gospel does just that. It is the most detailed and the most chronological approach to the life of Jesus. Luke has the longest and most detailed accounts of the virgin birth of Jesus of any of the gospels. Only Luke gives any detail into the childhood of Jesus. Luke gives us much more detail into the teaching of Jesus. There are 18 parables in Luke that aren't in the other gospels. Luke gives us more details into the miracles of Jesus. He records six miracles that the other Gospels don't. Luke gives us more detail about Jesus' prayer life. Luke has seven different references to Jesus praying that are not found in the other Gospels. Luke emphasizes more about preaching the Gospel than the other Gospels do. Luke is the only Gospel, uh, not the only Gospel, Luke is the Gospel with the most emphasis on the Holy Spirit and on joy. Luke is the gospel that is most interested in the roles of women, children, and social 
outcasts. And Luke also gives us the most detailed account of Jesus' death and resurrection and the most details of what happens after the resurrection. So definitely Luke's purpose to write an orderly accounts is something that he does in this gospel. The second purpose Luke had in writing this gospel is found in verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The second purpose Luke had in writing this gospel was to help Theophilus and us know the certainty of the things about Jesus. Luke wrote this gospel because he wanted us to know with certainty who Jesus is and what he did for us. And that is exactly what we're going to discover as we study this gospel. We're going to come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And I am going to be blessed, and I know you are as well, with just soaking that in and growing deeply in our relationship with him as we discover more about Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I believe the best verse that sums up the gospel of Luke is Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Gospel of Luke is an amazing book, and I think we're all going to be just blessed as we study it. And I would encourage you to read through chapter 1 this week before you come back next Sunday, so you'll be familiar uh, with what we're going to be studying next Sunday. You know, I want to finish this morning with just a time for us as a fellowship to pray for this church and what God has in store for it. And so uh, instead of me just closing, I'm going to leave it open to those of you who would like to pray. Uh, Not everyone will probably have time to, and and if you don't want to pray, you definitely don't have to pray. But for those of you who feel led by the Lord to pray, I just want to kind of focus on praying for God to just do a great work uh, in this church that he has established and started. And so um, I'm going to ask Lee to open us in prayer. And then after several people pray, uh, I'm going to close us in prayer. But uh, so if the Lord's leading you, I would just encourage you to do that. So let's pray.